Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 72 of the Ski Podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining us. And uh, firstly, as always, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, In fact, today's show, we're going to have quite a bit about Switzerland, uh, as you'll soon find out, as well as snow reports from around the Alps, the latest on the acquisition of the Chill Factory in Manchester. And I'm very excited about this. We've got an exclusive interview with Pat Sharples, who is the head coach of GB Snow Sports. Uh, Now, listener, if you're joining us for the first time today, just make sure you subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And if you do have a minute, please do give us a review on iTunes as it helps other people find us. However, I'd like to start off today by welcoming my special guest, which is a drummer old Alex Herman from Switzerland Tourism. Hi there, Alex. How are you? Hi, Ian. Doing very well. How are you? Yeah, we're good. Uh, I'm in Brighton. The sun's shining. I managed to go out for a quick bike ride this morning. And uh, it all looks good outside, but we're here thinking about the mountains and uh, snow. And a, a traditional question I like to ask people, can we find out when did you last ski or snowboard? Uh, it's, it's now at least three years ago um, for, for two reasons. Number one, I, I used to live in New York and I just didn't like the northeastern uh, skiing um, <laughs> uh, ski resorts that much. But the most important reason was uh, um, we have a, a two and a half year old. So uh, she's definitely not in the skiing age yet. She will be, though, very soon. And, of course, last season, we most of us uh, missed, unfortunately. So I can't wait to go back on the slopes uh, next winter. Yeah, well, I can relate to both of those things. I'm looking forward to going back on the slopes uh, as well. And also, when our kids were young, it didn't really work out for skiing. I think we took them when they were too young, and all we ended up doing was childcare and a ski resort. Much better to take them when they're a little bit older than they can actually ski themselves. Can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. She will definitely be on the skis uh, very early on. Let's have a quick update on the travel situation. Um, It's all progressing fairly quickly. It looks like the green and amber and, for that matter, red lists for the new traffic light system will be announced by the sounds of it as early as uh, as, uh, next week. So, listener, for you, that'll be a little bit later on, maybe Thursday or Friday on the day after you're listening to this, uh, before they come into action on May the 17th. It doesn't look to me like any alpine countries are going to make that green list at first Um, but i'm hoping that from the end of june uh, because the 28th of june is the uh, first review date we'll be able to enjoy quarantine free travel to countries like switzerland and france Uh, the french lockdown is going to wind down from early may um, but despite what you might have read in some places vaccinations are actually going very well in continental europe at a similar rate to the uk One of the limiters that we have at the moment is the cost of testing, um, which I mentioned, uh, discussed with Katie from Battleface in episode 71. That's still an issue. But, you know, it's all looking quite positive in terms of travel for this summer. But um, let's get back to the Alps. Uh, The late season snowpack has been very good. So let's hear a few uh, reports from some of our regular contributors. Hi, Ian. Hi, podcast listeners. Um, Nice to be here. Um, Ian's asked for a snow slash ski tour report um, on what is possibly the worst week of the the winter so far. But that's this week. Last week, um, I managed to get in two tours um, uh, to the same place, actually. Um, we went up the cold of Balafras, which is just at the back of uh, the Grand Bonhomme where I live. 
the first time he only got halfway up uh, my ski touring buddy um his binding uh, came off his ski halfway up so we kind of hiked um, a single skied back down so we went back for a second attempt and i'm glad we did um it was patchy we were walking over rocks at points and there were thin corridors of snow that we followed up but once we got over about 1800 maybe a bit lower the snow was still pretty deep um and very nice we hiked up got to the top uh, had a sandwich, chatted to some other people who may or may not have been uh, outside of their 10 kilometre official COVID radius. Um, but we had a nice chat and then the ski down was super. Um, it was uh, really nice and slushy. Um, and I think even after this rain, uh, up high, you know, th- there's quite a deep amount of snow and it could remain for a while. So if you want to go hiking, if you're in the area, you, you probably could, not just obviously where I am, but uh, for the whole Alps. Um, at the top, it was a great view. You could see a lot of snow um, from uh, from Mont Blanc all the way over to the Espace all those high places. Loads of snow I could see. Um, so, you know, go to a room. Um, but, you know, the last few weeks have been an adventure before that. And there's been poor snow conditions um a lot of the time it wasn't really it was cold um not quite cold enough when the snow to fall it'd be beautiful powder but we did try um which was nice but it's been quite hard underneath um building up to the the week before last so it's been more of an adventure than you know the best skiing i've ever 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 done um but you know it's about the company isn't it it's about the beautiful views um and from where we are we get stunning views um on the back of the aramis down over Majev, up to the the the, the massif of mont blanc or um over towards uh switzerland uh and the the port de soleil area and flen etc so you know great views for us um i mean compare that to the whole season though i think it's been non-stop powder days i've got to be honest um i think if i looked at it i've probably averaged between three and four ski tours a week and some of those have been knee deep i mean face shots big turns i've improved it's just been i'm gonna say it could well have been the best season I've ever, ever, ever had, despite the lifts not being open. From my first tour, which was an absolute disaster, uh, you know, um, right through exploring the local area. First tracks um, on Le Balm, where, you know, we normally catch a lift, then diving deeper into the Aravis, where we found cool places. Um, you know, one day we did a big tour up Mont Buenis Chamonix, um, 3,000 metre plus, massive, half of that was in ascent. It was hot, it was sweaty, it took all day, I was exhausted. Um, it was great. Um, it's not always about the skiing, it's about the adventure and the friendships, and I made some, had some, it's been cool. Um, I've been scared, elated, knackered, mostly stoked, happy and even more stoked. It's been a really good season. Uh, for the future going forward, um, I think I'm going to go non-stop skiing all year, once a month at least, either touring on a patch of snow that I can find or over in a glacier somewhere. Um, And that I might combine with some uh, long route climbing. That's me, Ian. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well, here in Ludai today, uh, looking out the window, and it is um, a grey day. It's certainly not a a spring feeling uh, in terms of the weather, but temperatures are pretty warm for this time of year had a few days of sunshine and uh, it's been a mixed spring so far um as I look out the window the odd person still touring up um has been the case all all winter long from 
one of the funicular in Ladai all the way up mainly to uh, the Folidou area or maybe as far as the Belvard or some people very venturous over into Teen uh, via the Tobier Plateau. But generally speaking, um, not many people are still touring. The resort officially has stopped um, maintaining and securing the area for touring now. Um, especially now the snow's gone a bit uh, monk, as they'd say. It's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty uh, miserable to be touring on a day like today, to be honest with you. But saying that, it's been a very, very busy season. Uh, I think a lot of people have discovered the passion for the mountains in a different way this uh, this winter through touring. Um, and there's been, certainly in the height of the winter, um, lots and lots of people, maybe up to 100 or two every single day, sometimes in the holidays, even more than that, uh, touring up predominantly from Ladai, but also elsewhere in the Val d'Isere and the, the Teen region. So um, it is obviously the end of the season as the snow's receding and melting. It is uh, still possible to ski if, if the lifts are open all the way down to the bottom of town. So the base is reasonably good. It's been an interesting uh, display of lack of uh, snow keeping this winter. Um, coupled with the fact that people aren't taking snow off the mountain on their skis to see how long the snow will actually last into the spring. But uh, it is uh, lasting pretty well. So I foresee a really popular summer season from the point of view of skiing. Um, and they've already started work up on the Val d'Isere Glacier uh, to prepare it for opening in a few weeks' time. Um, and on that point, they are talking the resort in, uh, in future winters, actually extending uh, high-level uh, altitude skiing up at the, the, the um, Val d'Isere Glacier through right from the end of, uh, or traditional end of the season in early May here in the Espaskili in Val d'Isere through right until uh, July and August. So you can ski all the way through up at high level without stopping in sort of May time. So the outlook for the summer is that um, the whole Savoie Mont Blanc region are pumping in millions and millions and millions to try and make it a very popular season for this summer to try and recoup the massive losses from this winter. Uh, the resort has been uh, devastated by uh, effectively what will have been two years almost of complete lockdown uh, by the time we hopefully get open in December 2021. So the resort are really ploughing as much as they possibly can into making the summer season as, as active as possible, whether it's uh, advertising and promotion or actually events uh, or obviously COVID secure events. But uh, the, they're doing a lot of work on that front. Um, the Pont Saint-Charles, uh, the road up to the Pont Saint-Charles on the way up to the cold Isran is uh, just denedged uh, as of this weekend, just gone. So you can drive up to the Pont Saint-Charles and then go walking from there. The road from there up to the Col d'Isran will not be opening for a few more weeks yet because it's a lot more, several kilometres of denedging that will take uh, probably until mid-June to do that. General vibe in town is it is very, 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 very quiet, very inter-season feel. Um, and everybody's sort of uh, conserving energy, funds, things like that to try and make the most of the summer and um, optimistically, as much as possible, looking forward to a return to normality for next winter because, um, boy, the resorts uh, across the Alps uh, certainly needs uh, the tourism to return because um, obviously uh, it is 100% linked to tourism economies like ours. So um, that is all the news from Val d'Isere um, here in France. Hello, this is Ed Mannix of the Tourne Chalets in Zermatt in Switzerland. Whilst we've had the good fortune to being able to ski all winter with a fully operational lift system, the season officially came to an end on the 18th of April. That said, we've now gone into summer mode 
And although the ski areas at Sunnig and Gornagrat are closed until next November, the Matterhorn Express Bubble, Ferg Saddle Chairlift and Klein Matterhorn Cable Car on the Klein Matterhorn side continue, gradually closing as the snow level goes up until later in June when the summer lifts kick in below Gobbardy Roland. The weather in the Alps at the moment isn't that great generally, which has rather limited the ski tour season, which would normally be in full swing until this weekend, after which the only local refuges that remain open until later in May are the Britannia Hut above Sasfe and the Monte Rosa Hut, both of which close on the 24th. Apart from that, over in the Alich area, which backs onto the Jungfrau in the Bernese Oberland, there are ski tour options well into May with the late opening of the Concordia Hut, and especially the Hollandia Refuge, which doesn't close until the end of the month. Current snow conditions in the Klein Matterhorn ski area are good from the top station all the way down to Ferg, and although the run directly from there to Furry is still open, it's not particularly recommended, especially in the afternoon, and the same goes for the home piece from Furry to the village, which is skiable but not at all pleasant. The Perla and Staffel runs from Schwarze to Furry are still open, as is the Staffel restaurant, which, under the latest relaxation of Covid measures, is now allowed to serve diners on the terrace but given the current weather I don't think they're doing much business. The Furry restaurant is also open for terrace service. Great well that was really good to uh, to catch up with what's been going on that was uh, Jim in La Clusa, Steve Angus in Val d'Isere and Ed Mannix from Matterhorn Chalets in Zermatt. Now I have with me just now Katie Dartford who's been uh, sending in her snow reports during the course of the season. Hi Katie how are you? <laughs> not too bad missing the snow now missing the snow right well um you know Strava is probably my favorite social network and this winter I haven't been able to do much ski touring myself but I've been able to uh, enjoy friends and watching them going up mountains and putting down lines uh, all over the Alps and I was particularly interested when I saw you were out in Switzerland yeah. um a while ago for what looked like just an epic few days of ski touring and you know I wondered if you yeah. could tell us a bit more about it <laughs> yeah it was definitely epic and like having not done as much as usual this year I was worried like oh my god and then the first day I did definitely feel a bit out of condition so to speak <laughs> I was ski touring in Valais in a part of Valais not so well known um two areas called um well Bintal National Park and Obergoms it's like in the east part and yeah but I'm normally not living at altitude at the moment so <laughs> no matter how many little hills I climb it doesn't quite make up for it and and this area that you went to is not it's not your typical because what I looked at the maps and thought like this is not near any ski resort you know what's going on here what prompted you to go to that area uh well just to I go to Valley quite a lot but obviously there's lots of many more familiar places like Verbier um and um the uh oh, i've got my name of it now but, <laughs> but there's so many places like you, know, you come from geneva it's really easy to access from geneva right but then you can go further into it and there's places that one has never heard of um and i do like to go ski touring a couple of times a year to places not so well known and i think especially now when um so many things with the ski resorts shut and i think people are more interested in learning about different ways to get on the mountains and different places to go maybe that's not so packed full of tourists and things like that it's just interesting to discover places and actually I mean if you're a cross-country skier you will know it very well because it's got acts like 100 kilometers uh, worth of um, cross-country skiing coming from Obergoms it's very well known 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> and 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 looking at the map, it looked to me as if you you know you head along uh, head along the uh, it's the Rhone Valley there, isn't it? And so you're going through Sion and Sierre yeah. and Brig, which is your jumping point for Zermatt and uh, and Sasfe. Yeah, that- and then it's a bit further than that, almost kind of you know it's, it's the last section of the valet that you come to before it turns into whatever it turns into after that. Yeah. So it's all it's um, German speaking area. And yes, you get the, get off the train at Brig, and then I got a bus, and then a, a car <laughs> to get to the destination, which was sort of in a place called uh, near Ernan, which is yeah in, in the Bintal Valley. Sure. And what was the snow and and the terrain like there then in the in the Bin Valley? Yeah. So the snow I hadn't snowed that much recently, but because we were going up so high actually, and and it wasn't that well visited um yeah you really have to pick your faces as you probably know in april so where we went well because we had a guide he knew exactly where to go so i mean the first day the snow was honestly it was really amazing on the way down it was just i've got quite light skis and they just cut right through it it was so great and then the next day we went somewhere else it wasn't so good the next day we were in a west face and it was like completely wind blown crap (laughs) which is always right and then again, we were back on the north face and it was really, really nice again. So what sort of altitudes were you were you up to then? Um, so I think we were about, in the valley, was about 1,500 odd metres. And then going up 1,000, 1,000 and a half from there. So Great. And was it, was it a, was it a... A ski touring kind of adventure. Were you going to from hut to hut, or where were you staying? Because you looked like you're in more than one place. I couldn't quite work it out. Yeah, so we stayed two nights in the Bintal area, um, and went back to the hotel at night, and then two nights in Obergons. So it wasn't hut to hut, no. And um, in actual fact, I don't think they actually have um, huts around there far as I remember them saying maybe just one so you can't really do hut to hut anyway okay and it's a national park so is it restricted where you're allowed to ski or can you just go anywhere no I think you can go anywhere yeah it was just a way of protecting the different the areas the different villages recognizing it so but I'm guessing it was very quiet I'm guessing you probably didn't see many people at all and any any good nature while you're out there there was hardly anybody, especially in the the Bintal, the Obergons. You can get the train, and like people from Bern come up, literally do a day trip, turn up on the train, run up something, run down and go back. But so there, but it was really empty. Yeah, like a couple of Swiss, a couple of other Swiss. Definitely didn't hear any, maybe some Italian accents, but no, really didn't cross other people generally. Cool. So you'd reckon you'd you know as a place to kind of uh, get away, you know, if you wanted to do maybe something exclusively ski touring, you know, Bin Valley, Goms, Obergoms would be a place that you'd recommend. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really beautiful. If you've not done loads of ski touring before, you can have really big days out that are not very technical. It's things for everybody really in that respect. And yeah, and like I think at the moment people. I get the feeling that the vibe is people don't want to be surrounded by loads of other people. So a good destination and a good sort of activity to do at the moment. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, you know, I really um, appreciate you, um, you know, tuning in for this and giving us an update and for all your updates this season. And I think you're, you're still, well, lockdown's about to finish very soon in uh, Lyon where you're based, isn't it? So best of luck with yeah, that as well, I hope. We can travel now across the 
across the country. I'll try and make it up to Chamonix this month. I'm not quite sure what I'll do. Probably trail running, I guess. Depends on the weather. <laughs> Climbing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Katie. That's uh, that's brilliant. Enjoy uh, enjoy the summer, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again next winter. So that was really interesting talking to uh, to Katie there. I had personally never heard of the the Bintal uh, area. Um, so, you know, we happen to have an expert on Switzerland here with us today, uh, Alex. Is it is it an area with any ski resorts there? Uh, no, it's really an area that has um, uh, that, that the, the local people know, the Valley people, the Swiss um, uh, go there. It's a domestic uh, destination. It's mostly well known for hiking in the summer and for ski touring in, in the winter. Great. Well, um, it sounds like a, an excellent place to get away from the crowds. And certainly uh, Katie had a great time uh, ski uh, touring there. And, and it's really good to have you on the show, Alex. You know, not just because Switzerland Tourism has been such a great supporter of the podcast, but because Switzerland has really led the way this winter, you know, keeping resorts open. And I think a lot of other uh, countries have kind of looked with jealous eyes uh, at Switzerland. And do, do you think... Switzerland's operations have proved to other countries that ski resorts can be open safely if the right protocols are in place? Uh, I think that's one of the um, things we've learned uh, last winter. Already to a certain extent last summer, as some of the uh, ski, uh, so some of the alpine resorts in Switzerland actually had a, quite a busy summer last uh, summer. So that, you know, the mountain railways, the, uh, the gondola uh, operators, uh, the, the restaurants on the mountains, etc., they all had a the chance already to 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 test their uh, safety protocols, uh, but then um, on a bigger scale they could do that in the winter. And while we didn't really promote um, skiing uh, or snowboarding in Switzerland internationally that much, uh, it was mostly a domestic um, uh, season. It did work quite well for uh, for um, for many resorts. But I think um, overall. Uh, the, the, the ski resorts in the Swiss Alps were able to, to prove that it's absolutely possible, even in COVID times, to have um, a safe yet enjoyable uh, time in the snow. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's very frustrating for somewhere like, you know, the French resorts, where all the resorts certainly believe that they had their plans in place, but they were never given uh, permission to open. So frustrating for them, frustrating for everyone, because you mentioned yeah, the international market. Obviously, a lot of international uh, visitors come to Switzerland every year, and it's been a very challenging season. Do you know, uh, you know, how many visitors uh, uh, have been? Has it been down relative to previous years overall? It has, of course, been down. The domestic market was not able to compensate um, the international market, um, but it's from resort to re resort quite quite a, a different picture actually. So some of the most Famous international resorts uh, have suffered a little bit more, obviously, whereas some of the more domestic resorts have done quite well. Uh, you also, um, you know, it wasn't possible for the Swiss to travel, um, uh, for example, to, you know, to some destinations in Asia or other places. So some Swiss might have gone back to skiing. And another thing that we actually noticed, you mentioned ski touring earlier. Um, uh, so many people tried new things in the snow and they tried, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of um, um, cross-country skiing or, or all kinds of other activities in the snow. So it wasn't just the skiing that, that really came back uh, for some people in Switzerland, but also many other activities in the snow, any other winter sports activities. 
Yeah, well, actually, I went. I was lucky enough to get out to Coral Montana in December, just in that little window when it was possible. And uh, I tried out cross-country skiing, which I probably wouldn't have uh, uh, done uh, otherwise. I mean, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. And, you know, at the top of uh, the, the glacier there, there's a great uh, cross-country circuit. So it was good to do. But I've seen that. Um, we've discussed this uh, somewhere else. I think I might have. It might have been when I had uh, a guest with Steffi Deichmann from Team on the show. We talked about how French people have tried all these different activities that they wouldn't normally have done otherwise. People are much more perhaps inclined and maybe will be more inclined in the future to try things like uh, snowshoeing or uh, or hiking, etc. In fact, our correspondent, Charlie uh, Reese was out in uh Engelberg and did snowshoeing out in Engelberg and we had a little report on that in the uh, in the previous podcast um so hopefully you know that will encourage people to to broaden their horizons a little bit uh, you, you mentioned the big international resorts like Zermatt and Verbier clearly their numbers have been down but I think I've seen some stats saying that you know some of the smaller resorts have actually seen numbers increase this winter relative to normal winters because of that domestic market yeah that's absolutely what happened also because um, hotels were always uh, allowed to be open including the restaurants but only for hotel guests what happened was that um, a lot of the swiss uh, went away for a long weekend um, because all the restaurants had to close for a certain period of time inside and outside so people um, actually made it made it a weekend Uh, uh, they went skiing and they enjoyed the hotel with all the facilities including the restaurant which they wouldn't be able wouldn't have been able to to enjoy otherwise so that that was something we've seen and that of course uh, helped um, with with some uh, additional overnights in the resorts yeah well i mean that's that's great news And, and just to clarify you know as far as switzerland is concerned at the moment my understanding is that it's in the uh, the stages of uh, moving out of uh, lockdown. There's certainly, you know, once travel is allowed from the UK, there's no quarantine when you arrive into Switzerland anymore, is there? Yeah, um, there's no longer quarantine. That's, that's been announced maybe um, uh, three, four weeks ago or so. There's no longer yeah. quarantine for um, uh, people arriving from the UK. So that is one uh, less hurdle uh, to take. Otherwise, with regards to what's open and what's not, it's pretty much the same situation as in the UK right now. Yeah, meaning that, um, you know, you can eat uh, outdoors in restaurants rather than indoors. But uh, the obvious advantage is that you can be, uh, you know, in an alpine resort in Switzerland halfway up the mountain, you know, in one of the mountain restaurants sitting on a beautiful balcony overlooking, uh, you know, the Matterhorn or the Eiger or whatever it might be, having your meal at the same time which is certainly uh, quite appealing. And as you, you know, you referred to the fact that Switzerland had the opportunity to to practice last summer, I went out to uh, Zermatt and Sasfe and skied out there uh, last summer on the glaciers. And there will be that opportunity to, you know, for those who are interested to do glacier skiing uh, this summer uh, as well, certainly in those two destinations. So, you know, I, I just, I had such a great time on that trip, whether I was skiing or whether I was just hiking, you know, listener, I just recommend the Alps in summer are just so good. I'm, I'm very happy you mentioned that, Ian. I mean, for people who are really desperate and can't wait until uh, next, uh, next autumn or, or winter, um, there is um, summer skiing in uh, several resorts in Switzerland. You mentioned some of them, Zermatt, Sasfe is another one. There's a couple others. Uh, so that would be an option for people who are just desperate. Yeah, I, I think I read as well that Cromontana is, is it, 
staying open until the 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 sixth of June or the uh, maybe the middle of June, perhaps. In fact, several resorts have extended because the the snow situation has been so good and the demand has still been there uh, once again from the domestic market. Of course, another advantage of this winter was that, um, you know, there are Swiss who actually go skiing outside of Switzerland. Um, Don't ask me why, but (laughs) Um, so that, of course, didn't happen as much. uh, And that, of course, also helped. And so there is still demand, even though now we're 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 way into spring. And so some of the resorts uh, actually, um, or at least parts of the resorts stay open uh, way longer than usual. Yeah, because in Cromontana, the the glacier is called Planmort. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's um, not the most tempting name. I think it means plane of death or something like that. But uh, but there's a massive. It's in French. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very high. There's a massive cross country area up there. But I was reading the other day that they've, um, they're maybe in the process or they already have a snow park there as well. So you know, keen keen shredders would be able to get out there. Plus, you know, there's. There's not a huge amount of uh, skiing there. There's, you know, one lift that you can, you know, do laps of if you want to do uh, skiing. It's all there as well. We have um, also, of course, uh, aside from from your excellent reports, we have uh, on myswitzen.com. We always have the most current information where the resorts are still open and um, skiing is still possible. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you think our reports are excellent. They do only come out every, you know, fortnight or something like that. So if you want updated information, you should definitely look on there. Um. Alex, I particularly wanted to have you on the show uh, so we could talk about the new Swiss Tainable, Swiss Tainable initiative that I read about recently. Uh, now, this is a new initiative um, to position Switzerland as the world's most sustainable destination. And that, you know, really appeals to me. I mean, I love um, Switzerland in general for for many many reasons but um i've traveled out there when i've gone by train and you know the ski flight free project is quite important to me and sustainability is uh, as well but i found it really interesting that as a country this is this is a project that you're looking to take forward and i wondered if you could just tell us a little bit more about it yes i mean sustainability is of course not a new topic not for switzerland not for uh, for the world and um uh, the uh, crisis last year also gave us the opportunity to maybe um, uh, think about certain things about how we want uh, tourism to come back uh, afterwards. And it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to um, try to um, get a, a different kind of tourism back. And uh, um, we've played around with this idea to uh, to be a little more active in this in this area for quite some time. But then we decided last year that now is the time to, to really do this, um, to focus more on this topic. Uh, I can add that um, Switzerland is already doing quite well in, in sustainability. Uh, there's all these, you know, these international rankings, etc. The Swiss are just uh, not very good PR people and they're usually not very bold. So a bold statement like the world's most sustainable destination is a rather un-Swiss thing to do, but here we did <laughs> And um, there there are several of these rankings, like the World Economic Forum, there's uh, Yale University has has its own ranking, the Adventure Travel Trade Association has a ranking. Wherever you look, we're we're number one or somewhere in the top three, etc., and have been for quite some time. We just never really talked about it and never really um, uh, translated um, to our guests and potential guests what that actually means um, for them and how they can also contribute to make Switzerland even more sustainable. 
So now's the time. So we started this uh, initiative. It's actually more than just a project. It's a strategy, an overarching strategy for the next uh, several years, which will um, not just be including our marketing, but most more importantly, we take a leadership role in Switzerland as the as the um, the destination uh, organization, the, the tourism organization for Switzerland, and we try to pull along um, as many of the suppliers and the destinations and all the other players in the tourism and travel industry in Switzerland with us. That's uh, um, the main goal of this uh, of this um, initiative slash uh, slash strategy. Great. Well, I mean, having having had a look at it, I can see it's, you know, it's very detailed. You're going to be looking to bring on partners and then partners look like they have to kind of commit at different levels. You mentioned the timescale. What, what is a timescale? Because obviously, OK, great. Uh, the World Economic Forum, as you mentioned, you know, ranked Switzerland uh, number one in sustainability rankings already. But what's the timescale on, on this sort of uh, project? This has uh, no end date. This is going on definitely for the next uh, three, five years uh, more, um, as long as we, we need to do this to uh, get everybody on board. We have these three levels, as you mentioned, to um, uh, onboard all these uh, players in the industry. We call uh, level one is committed, level uh, two is engaged, and level uh, three is then leading. And now we've, we've, uh, we've kicked this off a few months ago, uh, announced this to the to the tourism industry in Switzerland and already see a lot of interest. That's great. And, you know, when, with a project like this, what do you think represents success? I mean, um, we, we have several uh, levels to that. We, we want to um, uh, have, uh, we, we want to be rated by our guests in Switzerland as a, a sustainable destination. So when we, when we do these surveys that we do every few years, when we ask the guests, um, we, we will include questions to get some specific sustainability results. So do the guests actually see what's happening in Switzerland? Then we, we change the way how we measure overnights, for example. So we, we, we want to get away from uh, as many arrivals as possible, but we want to have longer stays. So we, we change uh, some of the way we measure uh, data that is already there. So it will be more important for us to have longer stays. We will specifically try to measure that. Uh, we look into how people uh, arrive in Switzerland. Um, uh, does the uh, the percentage of um, public transportation, uh, rail, um, for example, um, increase? So we we have a whole um, uh, indicator system that we're building where we measure the individual uh, um, parts of this. But of course, one of the key measurement um, uh, factors in here is also uh, how well are we doing in getting all these partners in Switzerland on board from. The destinations to the mountain resorts to the hotels to um, any other player that uh, is involved in the hospitality industry and, and yeah industry. i mean it's uh, it, it's great and i think uh, you know it's very clear that the only way to kind of make these uh, initiatives work is to kind of drive it forward with a single body you know taking uh, everything along but it seems to me that uh, you know it's a complete win-win uh, situation because sustainability is evidently good for the planet and it can benefit switzerland as well and you mentioned the you know the trains when i've been out to switzerland on all of my last trips i've i've gone out by train and certainly within switzerland you know the train travel is so good that it really there isn't any other reason to to travel uh, any other way i think the only bit i didn't was sasfe when there actually there's no station in resort the final bit of it had to be uh, by bus but uh, you know otherwise the trains are good the air is so clear um 
when I went out to the Valsana Hotel in Arosa, which, you know, prides itself on its sustainability, but it's not the only place where they're really focusing on buying local and having local products, uh, etc. Uh, in fact, I was reading about a new uh, restaurant in uh, Zermatt the other day, which is called Potato, which sounds quite, so I had a look at the menu, I thought, well, no, but it's not all potatoes. It just happens to be featuring some of that. But one of their key things is that everything is sourced from a maximum of uh, 50 kilometers um, from the restaurant itself. So all of those um, reasons uh, kind of underline, I think, uh, the, the sustainability that Switzerland's trying to do. And I wish you all the best with the sustainable uh, project itself. So um, thank, you, thank you very much for your uh, time there, uh, Alex. And um, I know I'm looking forward to getting out to that uh, Switzerland snow as soon as I can. But for those of you uh, UK listeners who are stuck in the UK, it's actually possible to ski on snow again, uh, albeit indoors. And uh, since the April the 12th, the UK uh, snow domes have been open again. And there's big news in this sector, and that is that the ski centre in Hemel Hempstead has bought a chill factory in Manchester. Chill Factory is actually the longest uh, slope in the UK. And uh, regular listeners will remember we had Ian Brown, the MD of the Snow Centre, on the show in episode 67. He was telling us how they got through the last year. He didn't give me the exclusive at the time that they were working on this acquisition, but I did catch up with him last week uh, to find out a little bit more about it. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ian Brown, who uh, regular listeners will have heard in episode 67. He is the managing director of the Snow Centre. And as of very recently, he's also managing director of Chill Factory, the indoor snow slope in Manchester as well. Hi, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Ian. Nice to be here. How are you? Yeah, good. Now, I'm I'm slightly disappointed that when I spoke to you in episode 67, back at the end of January, you didn't give me an exclusive there about uh, getting the, uh, the the chill factory. How how did that whole thing come about? Because actually in that interview, you did say that, that the Swindon development wasn't going to be going ahead. So this, this really segues really nicely into that, something that didn't happen. And then this acquisition of chill factory has happened. Well, we... We had some tentative discussions with them probably October, November time, which didn't lead to anything where there was a suggestion this may be an opportunity, but it it didn't lead anywhere. Then I think over the Christmas period, they decided that they were going to put the business formally up to sale and that sort of came to market early January. So at that point, um, you know, we've known this business for many, many years. Um, Obviously, there's not many of us in the sector. Um, you know, I've had a great relationship with Morwena, the CEO there, and with Nick Phillips, the CEO at Snowzone. We probably meet three or four times a year, either by phone or more recently by Teams and Zoom, yeah. uh, and through the fat on the industry because we're so unique in what we do. Um, you know, we sort of share ideas and things. Anyway, so we, we knew quite a bit about this, and then it formally came to market. So, in the first instance, it was a case of going to my shareholders and saying, "Look, I, I, I honestly think this is a no-brainer." I would really like the opportunity to pursue this. And I feel very humbled and thankful that they they, they agreed and were willing to back me um, with a bid uh, and to you know follow through on the inquiry we'd received. So following probably a sort of four-week period um, where there was a, you know, a, a pretty competitive bidding process, my understanding there were probably 10 or 12 companies interested in, in, in acquiring it. Right. Uh, my understanding is we were the only ones from the UK snow sports industry 
uh, in there, but I know there was private equity companies from the UK, from Europe, and from America. And can I can I ask, was this purely to buy the the snow slope? Because there's uh, rather like a, a, a lot of the indoor facilities. There's a whole bunch of other things going on in the same venue. Well, I think well, it's a good question that, and I think the reason why any tentative conversations or inquiries previously have not really led anywhere is you're absolutely right. So what we have bought is the Extreme Cool Limited business, which is the operations of the, of the chill factory, but we've also bought the building as well. So we own the 17 retail and leisure units that are there. And yeah, there's quite a convoluted history to the ownership of that site. So there's a bit of unwinding to be done there and who owns what and their expectations on the splits, if you like, at the end of the sale. So I think that's why you know, it took a while to get together. But yeah, it's something I've never done before. I'm now a property, property tycoon and um, <laughs> I've never seen a number of... Uh, your, your specialism obviously is running uh, an indoor snow slope. And uh, obviously the timing is great because I think I'm right in saying that both slopes have opened this week for the first time uh, this this year, which is which is great news. How's it been? How how have uh, have they been have they been busy? Uh, packed, uh, yeah. and I put that in the context of limited capacity. So, you know, both centres are running very similarly. We're running on around fifty percent capacity in terms of the main slopes for skiing and snowboarding. Uh, there's a, some children's lessons happening, and there's private sort of family bubble lessons. Uh, the big opportunity is seventeenth of May, which is the next stage of the of the restrictions being lifted where the lodge can reopen in, in at the snow center in terms of the bar offering and we'll be able to offer the adult route lessons again from that date and you know and they're very popular so we're very keen to get that back um and then we hope 21st of june you know we go we go to the next stage albeit yeah. I, I do think the headline the headline may well be that you know restrictions are lifted but i sense distancing hygiene cleanliness wearing of masks may remain for quite a long time to come. So I think we will still continue to operate in, in best practice for our guests going forward. Yeah, sure. But for, for people actually using the slopes, a great thing is that for a lot of British people had no opportunity to ski on snow for over a year and they can now go to your slopes and actually do that. And I think I'm right in saying that Chill Factory has the longest indoor uh, snow slope in the UK. Is that correct? Yeah, it does. Um and uh, you know, I was out on there a couple of days ago. Actually, a few of us had a cheeky little ski to to help with the opening. And there, uh, yeah, it's it, it is. It's 180 meters long. Yeah. So you know, he, uh, Hemel is 140 or 160 wall to wall. So probably about 140 actually on the slope. The big difference, uh, Ian, is the width. It's much wider. Right. And um, so you get this perception even more so of space. I have actually skied there because um, Chill Factory were very kindly one of the first sponsors of the ski podcast uh, just after we first started up. And I went up and we we did a number of interviews with some of the staff there, which uh, listeners can uh, uh, track down in uh, early episodes of the podcast. But I went skiing there with my son and it was it was brilliant. I mean, we had such a good weekend. We actually went to go and see Man United play, which is, you know, literally, uh, I don't know, a five minute drive away. Or just say, like just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and went to the Shield Factory uh, as well. And and I don't know if you saw this. It's quite interesting talking about opening up. I was looking on the Snowheads website the other day, and I saw someone had posted on there saying, oh, I'm trying to get tickets for the opening day on the 12th of April. But, you know, they they wanted a two-hour slot and they'd sold out. So I'm kind of uh, visualizing we're limited with 50% capacity. You know, maybe you're going to have scalpers outside going, two-hour slot, two-hour slot, <laughs> get your tickets here. The black market is thriving at the moment. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely correct. Both centres on day one were full. There were no passes left, um, which is great for me. Um, and I also think because it's coincided with many schools still being on holiday this week. Yes. Uh, I know some have gone back, but many are still off this week. So, clearly, that's just meant that, uh, you know, families and parents and kids who, you know, who've missed their winter season have been very quick to try and uh, get their ski legs back in shape. Yeah, well, I mean, that's brilliant news. And and I'm thinking that if you're saying 50% capacity, then still, you know, from your point of view, you know, it's worth opening, but it's still hard to kind of make the type of money that you would normally uh, earn. But uh, hopefully when we go past 17 May and then 21 June, that will change around. So I would like to recommend to our listeners, they want to get some skiing in, pop along to the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead or Chill Factory up in Manchester. And uh, Ian, best of luck uh, with the um, with the with the group. Is there a name for the group? Uh, no, no. Um, we, it will still remain as a Chill Factory. We've no plans yeah. to, to change that. And uh, Snow Centre will continue to thrive yeah. in Hemel as well. Yeah. OK, well, best of luck with the, uh, the two projects. And uh, I look forward to hopefully coming to join you at one of them soon. And thanks for giving us your time today. You're welcome. Thank you very much. So that was interesting. I've been to both uh, Hemel Hempstead and uh, Chill Factory. And, you know, it's not as good as being in a ski resort, you know, that's for sure. But British skiers have been starved of snow in the last year. So why not get along to one of the UK's uh, snow domes uh, this summer? And by the way, regular listener, uh, Johnny G, he dropped me an email suggesting a tour of the UK's snow domes. Now, that is tempting, uh, Johnny. So uh, watch your space. I'll see if there's any way of lining that up. Uh, now, we come to my exclusive interview with Pat Sharples. Uh, Pat is the head coach of GB Snowsport. So that's all of the park and pipe uh, skiers and snowboarders. And uh, Pat's been involved in freestyle snowsports uh, since it began, since it uh, was first uh, kind of created, really. And I've known him for 20 years or so. And I was lucky enough to catch up with him last week. So I'm just going to play uh, like a little snippet of that interview now. And then I'll release the full interview as a podcast special soon. Gram camps. Actually, it was uh, it was my, my my now wife Vanessa who saw me working at the free ski camps and saying, you know, you you are very good at doing this. You know, you, you are managing it. You are you know you're doing a lot of the organisation side. You know, you're picking talent. You know, you're working with ski companies to show them who who the new future stars are. So why don't we set up our own free ski camps within the UK around all the dry slopes um, and the indoor centres? And at the time, there was uh, lots of going on, lots of stuff going on in the ski industry. We had the AIM series, which was now the British Ski Tour, run by Spencer Claridge and Stu, uh, Stu Brass. And uh, there was more kids getting involved in it. I, I came up with this idea about the free ski grom camps to Solomon, and they loved it. They really did, and they wanted to fully run with this. They were massively into free skiing at the time. I think they had about eight. No seven or eight different free ride twin tip models at the time you know they were very well invested in this and at the same time they'd um 
given me the job as team manager for Solomon as well. So I was now in charge of um, uh, sponsoring the up and coming kids, uh, looking for new talent, uh, marketing side of it all. And Oakley did the same as well. So it was both at the same time. So I, I could take both on because they weren't in competition with each other. You know, Oakley was goggles and glasses. Solomon was the hardware equipment. And it, it just lapped over really well. And the other thing then, I, I wasn't that bothered about find, going for the athletes who were the best sort of superstars within free skiing on the UK scene. I almost had this vision of wanting to find the next talent and helping mentor them and let them naturally become the, the next big thing. And Solomon, again, trusted me to do this where, you know, that was a bold move on their side because normally companies like that just want the, you know, the, the top dog. And, uh, and I, I didn't go that direction. I wanted to pick my own team. And uh, the first skier that I um, uh, sponsored was a 12-year-old, James Woodsy Woods. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that, you know, because um, we did, you know, quite a few things together back then. And I mean, you know, so many kids went through those those Grom camps and it must be extra special, you know, to see some of them ending up representing, you know, Great Britain. And in fact, there was one event that uh, we ran as natives at the Birmingham Ski Show back in 2007. And I called it the new breed and you were the uh, MC and you dealt with whoever was going to be uh, called into it. It was just a tiny little quarter pipe and, you know, it's just not much to to do on it but it was so new and it was something different and the holiday makers the people who were there they just loved watching all these moves they've just seen people doing yeah aerials for years which i'm not saying you know like lloyd wallace and people like that it's amazing but just to see something a little bit uh, different and i love watching the crowd enjoying it and fortunately i actually recorded a few things from that time and i managed to find one of them on youtube yesterday and it's an interview with you and a 10-year-old and 11-year-old that you'd invited along for the second day. You wanted them to come along and just to, you know, ride that ramp in front of uh, everyone to demo those skills. And they were Katie Summerhays and Tyler Harding, who are both now in your free ski squad at GB Snow Sports. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, you must feel like a proud dad a lot of the time. <laughs> that, that, that explains it exactly how it is here. Yeah, a proud dad. Um yeah, they're, they're my extended family, those guys. And, uh, yeah, like, obviously, Katie Summerhays, her sister Molly Summerhays, Tyler. Um, so many of the kids, obviously, Woodsy. Um, but then we've got the likes of Pete Spate. There was James and Rob Machen. You know, so many of these guys have gone through to then not only do incredibly well on the world circuit, but represent GB at the Olympics. Many of them have won medals at World Championships, World Juniors, World Cups. It, it, it's been incredible. And I think, you know, somebody had told me, you know, back in the days when we were at Rosendale Ski Slope, when we were running the Grams, that this is where it would end up. I would have never, ever believed them. Like our sport wasn't even in the Olympics then. It wasn't even a thing. We, we, it just was not on our radar. So the whole journey has just been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I remember it first really sunk into me. I went along to an event, which I think was called Natural Born Riders, up at Sheffield Ski Village. And I, I think the Extreme Channel, I can't exactly remember who the sponsor was. And I could not believe how many kids were there going down to possibly the age of kind of like six years old or something like that. Some uh, kid taking the rails and things like that. And you just became, it was so obvious that there was just this real movement going on. 
and something really exciting to be uh, to be part of. So can I ask about how that next stage, the transition to GB Snow Sports came about? How did you or when did you get that call? So when um, uh, my, my guys through the Solomon team uh, started really progressing well and making names for themselves on the world stage, um, very much, you know, led by Woodsy's side on there. Um, he, he started doing very well in some of the major events. He, he'd gone over to Europe, he'd done a season there, then gone over to America um, to start trying to qualify for events like the Utah um, and other international events. Katie was only 13 um, at the time as well, and we were taking her out to laps to the European Championships. And uh, I remember she got a podium. She came third uh, in the uh, in the European Free Ski Champs. So she was making a name for herself. But the, the big turning point was when we uh, we got the call for, to compete in the X Games, which was the European X Games in teams. And... Um, so Katie and Woodsy both got invited and Vanessa, my wife and myself um, took them both out there. Again, I think, you know, we, we did it as a part of our yearly holiday. We used our holiday funds to take them out there. Um, it certainly wasn't my job or I wasn't getting paid to do that. We just did it because we wanted to support them. And, and it was so exciting for me to see see my guys in, you know, the biggest event, you know, in free skiing. And uh, and Katie did incredibly well, you know, again, that was her, the start of her rise on the international stage. But then Woodsy got a medal there, which was just not, again, a part of the script. We never thought that would be something that would happen. And, and that was a big game changer. And people started taking us really seriously and then saying, how is this happening? And um, at the same time, or roughly around that, there was a lot of like, murmurs saying that free skiing or slope style and half pipe could be included in the 2014 Olympics. So it was getting on people's radar and we'd have these discussions about, is this good? Is it, is it bad? But um, it was a few months after that then that um, we, uh, we got told that it was going to happen. That was officially going to happen. And we just got back from the first ever free ski world championships. That was in park city in Utah, which again, me and Vanessa had taken the team out there to go and compete. We did it off our own back. We used our own money um, and the, everybody did incredibly well. Um, and then it was the British Ski and Snowboard Federation at the time. And they called me and said, would you be interested in taking on the role as a head GB free ski coach for slope style and half pipe? Uh, the only thing is we haven't got any money to pay you. <laughs> right okay so it was almost like going back to when we started the groms and the solomon team it was almost like well how do we make this work you know we've we've got to try and find funds to cover my expenses obviously to pay for our living etc as well as get these guys training and uh and uh on the tour to qualify for the olympics and um at the time, snowboard, um, Hamish McKnight was doing a similar thing within uh, snowboard as well. who had had some very, very talented athletes on his team. And um, our athletes continued to get good results on the World Cup. So then we worked closer together to them put in a proposal for um, lottery funding with UK Sport. Um, which we which we ended up getting. We got like a small amount to get ours. Well, it felt like a lot at that time <laughs> to get us going um, leading into Sochi and to see how we'd get on and then we'd review everything there. 
Um, Leslie McKenna also jumped on board um, as like a program manager. And she'd obviously had experience within the Olympics as well. Our performance director at the time, Paddy Mortimer, again, he helped do all the paperwork and the admin to put in this proposal. And that was really the start of what became, you know, the first ever GB free ski team, freestyle snowboard, which we then called Park and Pipe. Um, so that's where it really started coming more professional, so to speak. So that was great. I really, really enjoyed uh, talking to Pat and hopefully you'll enjoy the uh, full interview as well. Um, I'd like to thank all of these guys who've bought me a cuppa since our last uh, episode. Uh, Nicole Clark, she said, the podcast uh, just keeps getting better and better. Thank you for all your hard work. And that's very kind of you, uh, Nicole. And if I recall correctly, you're in Australia. So um, hopefully we'll have a, a feature about Australia and New Zealand skiing soon. I'd also like to thank uh, Paul Findlay and Michael Greenland, uh, Susie Jones, who said just listening to the podcast makes you feel in touch. So when we're lucky to uh, lucky enough to go back, it won't feel as alien. Thank you. Uh, so thank you, Susie, for that. And Johnny Goldsborough said, thanks for getting us through the winter. Michael Gold says, uh, the podcast is something that I look forward to and appreciate the work you put into it. That's very kind of you, Michael. And another Michael, whose surname I'm not quite sure of, said, great podcast. Can't wait to return to Chamonix someday. Uh, me as well, Michael. So if you enjoy the uh, ski podcast, you can buy me a coffee if you want to, or a cup of tea is what I would uh, claim, at uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. And uh, don't forget, if you'd like uh, uh, some ski podcast stickers for your helmet or skis or phone, just email the ski podcast at gmail.com with your address and we'll post some out to you for free. Uh, also for free, um, the National Snow Show. Uh, regular listeners will remember we interviewed Stephen Morgan uh, a while back. I'll put a link to that one in the uh, show notes. You can get a free ticket for the National Show, a snow show, which is going on at the Birmingham NEC in October. Just use uh, the code Snow Ski Podcast, and you can get a, a free ticket for that. Uh, but for now, uh, you can follow me at Skipedia, and you can follow the show at the Ski Podcast, and we're on Instagram now as well. And I'd like to thank my very special guest today, Alex uh, Herman. Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. And thank you for all the work you do and uh, your support to the skiing community um, here in the UK and, and beyond. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, I, I genuinely uh, love uh, Switzerland. I'm really looking forward to going out there again, hopefully this summer uh, for some trail running if, uh, if everything works out with uh, travel. Um, so thanks to Switzerland Tourism for their support. And finally, thank you, listener, for sharing this time with us. Uh, so until next time, goodbye. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com. This blank season has been a tough winter for all snow lovers. I've spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort to try and give you an episode every week through this winter to give you your taste of snow, even if we can't go out there ourselves. Now, I'd do it anyway because I love skiing, but if you do enjoy the ski podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case a tea, at buymeacoffee.com. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.